0: You're listening to The New Paris. I'm your host, Lindsay Tremuda. Kathleen Clarity, a chef, cookbook author, and culinary teacher, has called Greater Paris home for 30 years and has championed both French and American cuisine throughout her work. Her daughter, Cecilia, has been living away from the French capital for seven years, but returned home to reconnect with Paris and family. One day, she'll return to Paris bearing the knowledge and experience of life lived abroad. How does each woman shape her identity? How has Kathleen seen the food industry shift since she got into the business? How has Me Too played out in France, if at all? It's all up for discussion in my first French-American mother-daughter conversation on this podcast. Hello, both of you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having us. So this is my first time having a mother-daughter duo on the show, um, and certainly uh, the first bicultural mother-daughter duo. So why don't we start by just going over your background? Kathleen, you've been here for how long?
1: Well, over 30 years. I kind of stopped counting, actually.
0: So you're a lifer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what we call the people who have been here for...
1: Pretty much Forever. It's not even... I can't even... I don't consider myself an expat at all. You know, it's. I've been here for so long that, you know, basically moved here right out of college, so... I guess you can guess my age now. Sorry. (laughs) And and what prompted that, though? Um, Basically, the French language is is, as simple as that may sound. I was, um, you know, I I finished my studies in in Minnesota where I grew up, University of St. Thomas, and did a a duo, a double major in French and international business. And all I wanted to do was come back and live in France and had no idea what I was going to do at the time, you know, and just that's all I wanted to do is come and live here. So we basically
0: have parallel stories. Really? Yeah, because I was purely interested in language. So you were more interested in the language than the culture and the sort of imagination around France.
1: It was all It was all together. It all goes together. And you know, I had no intention at all of being a language teacher. That's not all, what me I wanted to either. do. <laughs> <laughs> but they sent me over here to be a language teacher. But that was fine with me. I had a scholarship and they sent me over. It's like, "Oh, yes, I really want to be a teacher." Not at all, you know.
0: Well, if it gets you over <laughs> then you you know you switch gears after that exactly so 30 years and you have three children yes cecilia is the one sitting next to us right now right, Your um, oldest <laughs> you're oldest okay but you live in new york now so I you were do. you were born and raised in paris or mm-hmm. in the paris region yep. and how long has it been since you've not lived in paris 7 years Seven years. So it's been a
2: while. Yeah, I've been... uh, I moved to London in 2013 to continue my studies. It was sort of a, an easy next to Paris, not too far from home, yet more international kind of option, which felt right at the time. Mm-hmm. But the US and specifically New York, I mean, I think the first time we went to New York as a family was 2008 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was so absolutely obsessed with that city. I think and probably many, many people from my generation probably are because it's in so much pop culture. Sure. TV shows, etc. And I think I was just so attracted to that city. And I was always told from a really young age, Oh, you're so lucky. You have an American passport, you have a French passport, you can just go and live there. And I think I feel like that really stuck with me because I always knew deep down that one day I will manage to go there. Um, And and I moved there last year um, in
0: June. So So super recent, very recent. Yeah, very just in time for a lot of upheaval. (laughs) I mean, very
2: very interesting year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not that that upheaval is restricted to New York, no, but, no, no, but, but certainly no. a complicated
2: An interesting, year. yeah. I mean, I, I guess I had sort of six months that were, you know, very nice and, 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 and carefree and just discovering the city. And you know, I had actually a lot of friends that lived in London that moved to New York. So I knew quite a bit of people. And throughout my past work, I was also able to go to the U.S. quite a lot and go to New York. So I wasn't too... Um, it didn't feel too foreign for me, which was really nice. Um but then, of course, this year has been, I mean, absolutely crazy. And
0: uh, but you plan to stay there.
2: I plan to stay there. I mean, probably depending upon November. Um, I think that will be. <laughs>
0: I wonder what's happening in November. <laughs> we're all we're all. Uh- we're holding her a, a bit, a bit nervous. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. There are perhaps some listeners who aren't quite so nervous, but, right,
1: right. uh, anyways, it don't, you know, it's, it's an event. It's a huge event. It's it funny. is. Yeah. It's a big event. And I think we're, we're
2: sort of, yeah, we're waiting a little bit on that. It's, it's me and my, me and my boyfriend who live both in New York. And so something we wanted to do together, we're living something pretty incredible this year specifically, because of course it's not just COVID it's also the black lives matter movement. Yes. We live in Brooklyn. And so it was just like, we were, in a neighborhood that was historically very African-American. And so mm-hmm. we lived through that as well, like this year, which was like kind of such a crazy yet historical, yet like so interesting event also mm-hmm. to be a part of, because you're looking at it from also like an external perspective, because it's not really your country, but yet you're here. So we, you know, we went and we did some marches, like we participated in the protests, like just because we we figured it's just, it's here, it's surrounding us, it's all over us. So Living through that has been such an experiment. And we, we had a couvre-feu, you know, we had a curfew yeah. also that, you know, on top of COVID. And of course, the, the the election is just on everybody's mind right now there too. So definitely a heavy year, like news-wise. But,
0: um, but then how does it feel to come back? Because you've been back in Paris visiting for yeah. a few weeks. Exactly. Does it feel strange, especially given the context in which you're returning?
2: Paris feels so much more calm in New York actually right now and carefree a little bit like yes people have masks in the street and and we've had that in New York so it doesn't even feel weird to me because I know there's been a little bit of a transition where there was no mask and mask etc but just like people are a little bit more carefree
0: here I feel for better or for worse I suppose (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, because
0: as as we're recording the prime minister is giving a uh, a speech of sorts announcing changes that we will be yeah. Facing so t- 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 TBD, TBD. Uh, but but certainly yeah I do I would agree that your your experience matches what people from the US are observing with many European cities and the way that we've rebounded of sorts I mean I don't think rebound is actually the appropriate word but sort of mm-hmm. how we've started to live with this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel very lucky that you know the progress of this year ha- or of this period has evolved the way it has because I was able to meet your mom mm-hmm. in July um, and so I, I bring this up mostly because we touched on things during our discussions um, that I, I think is would be interesting to to go deeper into now so um, I met your mom at um, a breakfast that was put together for my book and it was all women. And we were talking about a number of different things. It was very much like an open discussion. Um, and everyone, you know, we went around the table and everyone gave a little bit of a a brief story of who they are, why they're here, what they do. Um, and a few of the women work in food, um, various aspects of food. And there were a few moments when, um, there were some comments made about now versus, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I want to bring the discussion toward that because, well, certainly you, Cecilia, as well, you were raised here. So you have a certain benchmark of, you know, behavior and then have now lived outside of of Paris and France. So I'm curious for both of you, um, both in terms of the food world and just more broadly,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what are some of the things that you think were shocking initially and that have changed and things that you would assume would have changed by now and have not. Well, let's see.
1: I think um, maybe I'll bring it into the food world because that's yes. sort of where I've really been for the last 15 years. And um, how can I explain this? It was it was just sort of common knowledge that in the kitchen um, the chef was a male, and uh, the women were going to be a little bit more subordinate and there was going to be a lot of um, real, real machism and a lot of... I don't even know how to say this correctly. A lot of, you know, um, not really good talk. You know, not to not say potty talk, basically. But it, mm-hmm. it was really. I mean, yeah, it, it, these guys—they're talking like they were twelve years old. You know, it was in the locker room. There it was. Locker room talk. There we go. <laughs> and, and 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 to be accepted. You sort of had to jump into it. You see, if you were sort of this prude little person that was going to stand in the background and not jump in and not defend yourself, then you would just always be that way. And you'd be cutting carrots, you know, day in and day out for the next six months. If you jumped in and sort of, you know, talk the talk, even though you didn't really want to, then suddenly you were, you were respected, you know, and suddenly mm-hmm. you, were, you were able to sort of jump up to their level and do some more interesting things. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, you have to, I mean, at the time, and- even today, you really have to prove yourself. You really do. It's they're not going to give you the sort of benefit of the doubt. They're just not. You know, you have to do it, and you have to <laughs> carry the big, heavy, you know, pots and pans, and you have to burn yourself, and you have to. That's just part of it.
0: And know? where did you start? What was that process?
1: Um, I started. You know, I went to Ferrandi, mm-hmm. you know, and, but you know, much later, obviously, I was. I had to, you know a first career in, in communications, marketing, and then. Went to, to Fernandes when I was 40 years old, basically, with a lot of young kids. Um, absolutely loved it. Fantastic. You know, I didn't feel it in the school there because it, it's a very good school. It's very difficult. But there was, you know, everyone was equal. It was it was quite well managed. It was really good. And then I started doing internships and working in different kitchens. So I worked um, I worked for Ellen mm-hmm. Um And because I wanted to work for a female chef. And I wanted to work for someone from the Southwest because I wanted to get to know those products and that food, which I really loved. Foie gras was something I never ate growing up in Minnesota, basically, you know. <laughs> so I wanted to learn how to to, to to cook it and make it and choose it, and and so and it was um, a really interesting experience, you know. It was she's a tough lady. Mm-hmm. She's she's very um she's very she's very smart. She's very sharp. She knows what she wants to do. She knows how to get there. And so that was a good experience. Um, She wasn't always in the kitchen when I was there because she had some things going on in her private life, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. But she had a really good sugun who was there, who was actually good. He was really good. Um, He would help us a lot. He would teach us a lot. Um, But you had to, you know, you just have to be tough. That's just it. You can't. No one's going to help you if you don't know how to do it. You just have to jump in.
0: And so what role did you have when you were working with her? I was
1: an intern. You know, like a 40-year-old intern.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And and if I remember correctly, she um, inspired one of the big films that everyone thinks about um, when it comes to the French restaurant scene. So that's Ratatouille.
1: Ratatouille. And that film had just come out at that time.
0: Okay. So you were really around her at a, at a very interesting point in her both life and career.
1: Sure. Sure. She had two stars at the time. It was a two star Michelin, you know, very popular. It was full all the time. You know, I don't know if that's so much the case today. I think it's more difficult for everybody today anyway. Um, so yeah, no, she was up way up on the top and, um, she knew it. Mm. She knew it. Um, yeah. She let us know that she was on the top and that we were really far, you know, far below her.
0: <laughs> but then from there, you know, in, in various different roles that you've had in in the food world. So whether it's working, you know, with publishers and doing cookbooks or right. whether it's um, you catered for a while a while yeah. right? you did events. Yeah. Um, and if you want to talk about what you do now also. So how do, how does the dynamic, I guess, in the food world change? Is it, is it sort of across the board and it's not just sort of uh, relegated to the kitchen Mm -hmm. or does it get better depending on what area you're in?
1: Okay. I, you know, I I think it depends on what area you're in because now uh, just to, you know, sort of make a quite a long (laughs) food story short. Um, I, you know, I I moved quickly from working in restaurants just because I didn't want to work in restaurants. And I had three children at the time still do, you know, but they're very young. And so the, you know, the restaurant hours were just insane. I I couldn't possibly (laughs) I couldn't possibly survive that. So I always knew I wanted to do like private chefing. Mm. So I did that for quite a while, but I was my own boss. I did my own thing. And, and I had never had a problem whatsoever. I had, you know, got young guys working for me. I had Metro d'Hotel working for me. I had wonderful customers who were very, you know, very proud to have a woman chef. And it wasn't even like having a woman chef. It was just having a chef to court. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a big deal for them. Um, and then I started giving much more lessons. I started, you know, developing the teaching side of it. And I worked for, a, I must say, a very wonderful person who is Cyril Lignac.
0: Yes. He's very
1: well known. And I ran his cooking school for two years. And he was great. I mean, you know, he he also knows what he wants to do and how mm-hmm. to get there. He's a very hard worker, which is kind of inspiring, you know, when you see someone giving that much time and energy into their into their craft. That was great. Um, I learned so much. Um People often ask me, you know, what's he like? Is he just like, is he on television? Of course he isn't. He was my boss and my chef, you know, so right. of course <laughs> he, he was tough as nails, you know, but that's fine. He was always very respectful. I mean, never. You know- which
0: is different. You can be tough and respectful. Yeah. Which is much different from the alternative.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And so, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about, you know, has France ever pro- ever really reckoned with its, you know, it's history of of abuse in the kitchen or just Me Too in general, right? There's this big discussion, especially now, of whether France has really, whether there's been any consequences. Mm. And I think the other thing that came out from that discussion in July when we were all together was that it hasn't, mm. um, and particularly in the food world. And um, I, I, I sensed a few people at that table react in a way that indicated that there were some, whether they experienced something personally or we simply know of, of behaviors going on. And, and, you know, having been here much longer than, you know, I have, I mean, I've been here 15 years, but 30, you see a much, you know, a bigger evolution. Mm -hmm. What do you attribute some of this resistance to change very problematic behaviors, despite what we know, despite, you know, hearing from men and women that it's, you know, they've been really uh, hurt or, or Mm -hmm. offended by certain behaviors.
1: Yeah. I'm so absolutely dumbfounded. I'm so surprised that it's still, it's still going on. I really am. I mean, I really thought this was over, you know, especially seeing all these young chefs, men, women, you know, they're all over the, they're all over the internet. They're doing fantastic things. You know, they've got this great philosophy on food and they're just doing wonderful, wonderful creations. And my God, what, why, what is wrong with them? You know, why are they still doing this? And I think at the end of the day, I think it's kind of the school's fault, basically, mm. because, you know, I did go to a really good culinary school. Not once did they ever talk about how you should treat your, you know, your kumi, you know, never. I and mean, your coworker. Or your, or, yeah. Exactly. You know, female, male, there was never any discussion of that whatsoever. Hopefully that's changed. But I see a lot of the young kids that I work with now, you know, I, I give lessons now in another school, basically. And, um, I see a lot of the young kids come in and I don't, I don't see a lot of change. I really don't.
0: Which is disconcerting, of course. Mm -hmm. And what about more broadly? So also, Cecilia, I mean, you grew up here and now having lived in London and and now New York, do you think that there's anything in the, I don't know if it's the way of interacting between people or what the work environment is like for people, you know, what strikes you the most um, in terms of behavioral
2: Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, and we have a lot of conversation, my mom and I, about that because I've only worked abroad. I've never actually worked in France. (laughs) I've worked in London for a couple of years. Now I'm in New York. And funny enough, I've actually predominantly worked with only women from the job that I do, which is working in digital and marketing and predominantly influencer marketing more as a niche. I've actually worked two times uh, with female founded companies. Hmm. And female founders. And so I work with predominantly women and actually it's, I've, which is could be also surprising, but it actually is really, really great. I really love it. And so I have I feel like I haven't necessarily had the experience of more of a mixed, you know, colleague and more of a diverse, I guess, um, co-workers. I haven't really had that experience. One thing that's interesting, though, when I first arrived in New York, which was really striking and really different than I don't think it even exists in France is I think the second that you have, I think a minimum of six employees, you have to do a sexual harassment course. Everybody has to do it.
0: Wait, this is in uh, the U.S. In New York. Right.
2: Uh, Maybe it's specific to the New York state. I don't exactly Mm -hmm. know the details, but I I do know that that was something that was so interesting. And at the time, what was so funny is I was actually working for a French company in New York. (laughs) So the New York team was doing the sexual harassment course, but the French team wasn't because they weren't obligated to do it and so we were having conversation colleagues uh, between colleagues and there were a few a few males actually and at that company um and and we were comparing a little bit our experience and they were so surprised that we had to do that Hmm. so there is definitely i think it's just it's i don't not to say that it's not happening you know in the uk in the us um, but i do feel culturally a latin culture versus a more of an anglo-saxon mm-hmm. culture in the workplace is very different mm-hmm. and i've seen that in my few you know stage internship that i've done in france like you just understand even the dynamic is 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 different with male the sort of female male um, dynamic in france is different than, mm-hmm. than it is in more more anglo-saxon countries i think that's mm-hmm. something you can you 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 can definitely oh,
1: definitely so you have to be a little bit careful as well you know it's not all terrible i mean there's always this sort of seduction thing going on in france <laughs> okay you know? so that that was, that was
0: actually going to be my next point, right? Because right. there's a lot of behavior that might be um, apologized for because it's couched in this, you know, art of seduction or la right. drague, you know, and that, that's that, that's okay, though, because, mm. you know, and you have this whole generation of female feminists that are sort of not just, obviously men can be feminists, which is why I said female feminists, but I mean, you know, this generation of feminists that, mm. you know, in the... Sort of generation of Catherine Deneuve and all of the women who had, you know, come out in that in that uh, opinion piece a couple mm-hmm. years ago and mm-hmm. said, you know, what we want men to be able to feel like they can bother, right? And that there's mm-hmm. that whole notion of, you know, you can't take the the game out of it. You know, mm-hmm. women want to partake in that too, and I think it's this like inability of seeing the when things cross the line exactly it's
1: a very fine line that's what I wanted to say you know I I mean I, I we have so many discussions about I know. It. <laughs> didn't exactly was surprising and it, she came out at a really bad time to say that you know it unfortunately it kind of turned against her but I did think she was 100% wrong I know what she was trying to say you know I mean obviously you can't be I mean you always talk we talk about this all the time just like how you know, when when you're, when you're going on it, like when you're dating people in the U.S., you know, how difficult it is to date someone because it's like, I don't know, you know, everyone's afraid they're going to get sued or something. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. Men are scared. For sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They, Today. But maybe maybe and maybe it's a little bit. And sorry, we'll, we'll go back to your previous question, yeah. but maybe it's a little bit too far, but I feel like sometimes maybe you need to be a little bit too far, a little bit more extreme in order for it to bring it back to sort of more of a yeah. normalcy in a few years. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, you know... Uh, You had that. I mean, I don't know if it's a fair comparison, but maybe you had that when there was not a fair representation of men and women in in, you know in companies, and Mm -hmm. you had like discrimination positive in favor women, where you would essentially like prioritize maybe hiring a woman,
0: quotas, and Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. And I feel like for me, that's a little bit the same. Where it's like maybe in the U.S., they they, they are so you know, uh, Me Too has obviously had such a big reckoning there, and and in New York, it's it's very predominant, and and people talk about it a lot. but um, I, I, do, I do feel like men are a little bit stressed. The dating world is, is very different. Men are, are a little bit stressed, but in a way it's kind of good because it's like, they are aware of it. They understand, they have to, you know, they understand that, I mean, in this day and age, like they cannot treat women probably maybe like their father treated women too, or maybe right. their grandfather treated Once women. Once they really continue. <laughs> That's the thing. So there's more of a conscious, not to say that they're not doing it, but at least they're a little bit more conscious about it. And I think maybe in France, to your point, just bringing it back, it's, um, I don't think there's, we're not challenging men enough to really think about their behavior. And I feel like it's, you realize that when I'm going back to France and I'm speaking to all my friends and I'm having the conversation, the same that I have in New York and and the ones that I'm having here are completely different.
0: Well, (laughs) much like the race conversation and and about, you know, discrimination and social justice, it's, when you speak to a lot of French people about this who are not necessarily engaged civically in these sorts of matters, um, you you can feel that we're not having the same depth of conversation. No, no. Um, but but it's very interesting. I mean, is that part of what um, prompted you, not prompted you, but, you know, you have a French boyfriend. He's mm-hmm. not American. Is that, or he's not British. You know, is that is that you feel like you get on better with... Uh,
2: I think for him, and I think there maybe is a little bit of a different type of, the French that lives abroad, it's maybe a little Mm. bit different than someone that has never left its country or its city. And I think we both met in London. So we Ah, have lived together a couple years, you know, abroad. So I think there's definitely a little bit more of, you've seen difference. You've seen, you've had conversation with different cultures. You've kind of had that. And I think, um, it's interesting, even for him. I'm challenging him constantly because he's very, good French. <laughs> yeah. I love him so much, but he's so French, and I'm I, all my friends are American in in New York. So he's he constantly has to adapt a little bit. But he has told me many times now. Now that he's back in Paris, he's here for a couple of days. He, um, yeah, he's noticing things about maybe how his friends would say like little silly jokes that back in the day he would have never you know cared about. Um, but today he's like, oh, that's interesting. You would never
0: be able to say that in you,
2: <laughs> you know. But it's
0: good as so, long as it's you know um... you're having those baby steps of, yeah. and acknowledging things you were recognizing things you wouldn't have recognized before i know that the fact that we even talk about consent in france yeah. is a big step
1: yeah exactly. it's in our consciousness exactly. right so
0: exactly. um <laughs> now both of you i mean I'm, you, do you consider yourself french now that you've been here for 30 years we've talked about that too yeah
1: i you know it's i i guess i do probably consider myself a little bit more french than american but i still only have an american passport
0: really so I,
1: yeah i know it's <laughs> I've talked about it for years, but I, I something inside of me is, I, I, whatever, I can't take the step. I don't know why. Okay. So I, I should, I could definitely have both nationalities. Yeah. But I've never, you know, whatever done the ness, what what you have to do to do it is complicated. But I think it's sort of more deep rooted, and maybe I just like the fact that I'm still American only. Hmm.
0: Um.
1: But when I go home, I am not. Well, what's home?
0: home? So that's an interesting.
1: Yes. Home doesn't,
0: word. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> Home is not home anymore. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota. Right. Obviously, you know, no one lives there anymore. Um, my you know, parents have deceased. My I have one sister who lives in Florida. Um, I have some cousins still in Minnesota, but I never go back to Minnesota. So home, you're right. I, I don't know. It's not Florida.
0: It's just the country in general. <laughs> it's just the country, mm. yeah.
1: So a place that I'd love to go where I go off is California. My mm. friends in California, and that's a place that I just – love.
0: Things. And you've written a book. Yes. <laughs> a couple of years ago, right? About, yeah, about A year, ago. A year right. ago. Uh in French, it was called La cuisine californienne, exactly. right?
1: La nouvelle cuisine californienne. La
0: nouvelle cuisine. And what is that? What is the la nouvelle cuisine californienne for a French uh
1: It's explaining cook. that it's all fresh and it's you know it's mm. organic and it's not all, you know, pesticide laden terrible fruits and veg and it's all homemade and it's all local. And it's all just very healthy and very good, and and you know,
0: which is a good. perfect match for the way the French eat and cook. Really, ex-
1: ex- exactly, it definitely is. But for some reason, in their minds, they still you know you say, talk about American cooking. It's like what, that exists. So that exists American. Cooking?
0: I have to say, I do get very offended when you talk about American culture, and they say, "Mais la culture, c'est quoi là? C'est quoi la culture americaine You're it's a bit offensive. Well, uh, you know, it's French. <laughs> so it seems doing? like a lot rolls off your shoulder then, when it comes to <laughs> the digs that we might get as Americans. Here. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah,
0: and yeah. you you embrace that part of your identity then.
1: Yeah, well, no, I mean, I mean, when again coming out with this cookbook because the, the one that came out four years ago was a big, huge book on all American cooking and basically through five regions and you know explaining. What the origin of the Caesar
0: salad is,
1: <laughs> where it came from and why and what the story behind it is. And,
0: and we yeah, know the French love Caesar salad.
1: They do. They have it everywhere. But what I loved about writing the book and studying for the book, and, and it, was, it was a huge job you know several things came to mind one thing is i'd never felt so american mm. writing that book even though i'd been i've been here for so long and suddenly i was remembering so many things yes of course we made that way that when i grew from minnesota and of course we would never eat things out of season because at the time they just were not available you know you didn't have places like costco and big grocery stores that would sell you strawberries in january you just didn't that came later mm. you know? um so I love writing the book, and then I love defending it. I love. I, mean, I was fortunate enough to be invited on some to taste. Yes, you were on TV and, quite a lot, quite right? It, yeah, and it was just so fun for me to explain to people. Yes, you know, yes, we do cook, and yes, there is family cooking, and yes, we make stews and we make soups and we make, you know. Hot roasts, and we all sit down at the table. Yes, it does happen. So funny. I mean, well, every night
0: I used to sit down at the table too. It was a non-negotiable.
1: Exactly. There was dinner, and it was homemade. It might have been something simple. And growing from Minnesota it was obviously quite simple: meat and potatoes, basically. But your mom <laughs> made it every day, right. you know, and and we did sit down and have it together. Um, just, I have to tell you this little funny anecdote in French. I'll say it in French, though. So my youngest daughter Bianca was on vacation in the southwest of France about a year ago or a year and a half ago, and. Someone was selling my book, the California Cookbook, on, in a really nice market, and um, this man picked it up, and he was in, my daughter was standing right next to him, and he was saying, "Oh, this looks nice in French." And his wife said to him, "But well, the cuisine, cuisine américaine. Enfin, c'est si, si les Américains savent cuisiner, ça se saurait, no?" Oh, oh. <laughs> you translated,
0: you translated. So essentially, the comment was, uh, "Americans know how to cook. Yeah. If they did, we would know about we it." Would know about it right? Which is just, you know. Uh, it highlights a, a real lack of awareness, well, exactly. you know? Exactly. Um, and also, you know, when you think about um, the influence of someone like Julia Child and all of the food writers of course. Of, the, of her generation who were, yes, okay, they were cooking French food, but it was, they were champions of home cooking and, and and taking the time and, you know, resisting the microwave cooking and, you know, Hopefully. toaster oven. But,
2: and in California, one of your hero, obviously, Alice Waters as oh, well. Of course. You know, she was like such sure. a pioneer. So I feel like California is such a specific also. Yeah, it it, it's, it's so different to, to so many other states, but it's,
1: yeah. I
0: special. think Parisians at this point, though, have, have a far more sophisticated Absolutely. understanding of Absolutely. especially California. But, but so then did you grow up having similar traditions, the home-cooked meal, the...
2: I mean, yeah, so spoiled. So, so
1: spoiled. <laughs> I mean... Uh,
2: <laughs> no yeah I, and and today i can i can really see i can really see what it is to have had a parent and actually both my both my parents are excellent cook uh, one is actually uh, you know a home cook one is actually a chef so i i'm so blessed that i was able to you know i ate my first oyster when i was 3 or 4 year old <sighs> um i <laughs> Just like had definitely developed a, a pretty a pretty yeah, nice palate, I would say. Right, quite early on. Quite early on. And, and yeah, absolutely love food. Food is also a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, also surrounded by a lot of people that work in the food world in New York, too. And, uh, and, and, and it's pretty amazing. Absolutely.
0: Well, yeah. so now I'm going to spin the question back to you about your identity because you, unlike your mom, was born here and have you know, you, you have the addition of an American side. Um, so what do you feel? I mean, this is a question that comes up a lot, but I'm always fascinated by it because it's always different for each person.
2: That's a really good question. And I, I think I feel more French than I feel American simply Mm. because I grew up here, but because, and maybe if you were to ask my siblings that they would have a different answer than me, but because I'm the oldest, um, you were very adamant to, uh, really kind of giving me the American culture. I only had, you know, American babysitters really I, I, we time, only yeah. spoke English like you were super I mean we would travel to the U.S. I would visit my grandparents growing up a lot like we, we would go two three times a year so I think I had a lot more I, I would say because I'm a little bit older than my siblings a lot more of the American culture so I would say that I'm like sort of a, a 70 30 I'm mm. like a 70 French because I am at the end of the day I'm French I, I grew up here, you know, my, my dear friends are here. Um I, I uh, my, my, my 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 father's French, um, my siblings are French. But but now that I'm in the US, um and because I think I spoke English my whole life too. Um, I do feel like I'm connecting a little bit to a part of a culture that I I never really got to experience in France because the, you know, we, we, we were celebrating Thanksgiving. We were doing things like that growing up, but it's so interesting for me to connect to those roots now being over there because I feel like there was like sort of that missing piece of the puzzle a little bit of like, I I know what that is. And I also grew up like, you know, watching American TV shows Mm -hmm. and programs on on television and, with my cousins, with my friend, my American friends. And it's so funny now because sometimes you, you, uh, someone will, will mention a song or, or mention a program that they watched growing up. And I was like, I watched that too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of nice. So it's, it- you
0: have that benefit of being able to connect with, you know, pop culture yeah. in both places because you were exposed to it. I mean, not everybody who has dual nationality is,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, exposed to those things.
2: No, totally. And I think that's also probably what prompted me wanting to move there that's because it's uh, all of a sudden it's not totally foreign. And I've met dual, dual people like me where they also had the exact same scenario, one French parent, the other American, and they do not relate at all to one or the other because simply they weren't. Growing up, they mm. didn't. They they weren't. Um, maybe the language or the culture wasn't shared enough with them growing up, and so you just assimilate to one culture, sure. as opposed to the other. And I see that a lot, actually, the other way around in the U.S., where people have maybe you know, uh, you see that with uh, more sort of amer- immigrant families, like Korean Korean families. I have a, an American Korean friend, and she, you know. Uh, it's almost like you, you were growing up and you were like, no, you're American. You know, you have to assimilate your American. Right, right And and so sometimes I feel like that's also a little bit unfair. It's like, I was so lucky that my other culture was being American in France because it was celebrated. And it, sure. it, it was, I wasn't, it was in, oh, you can't be that. You have to just be French. Uh, it was actually celebrated for me to, you know, uh, to, to, to embrace that culture. Mm-hmm. And I think for some other cultures, sometimes it's not the case. So yeah, I feel very blessed,
0: <laughs> basically. And how is it though being, you know, far from your your family because your siblings live in France. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. So what what is that like? Is that could that be a, a drive for you to move back to to France at some point?
2: Yeah, I think. Because I'm also, my boyfriend is French. We're both French. We both grew up near Paris. Um, the end goal is, of course, to come back home at one point. And home for me is is Paris mm-hmm. or, or around Paris. Um, but it's really nice. And I'm so glad that we made that choice uh, being in my late 20s that I'm able to still experience living abroad. And I am so, so grateful. And I'm so happy that I made that decision in my early 20s to leave because I want to bring back all of that experience sure. to France, and I and I do
0: feel like it will. Please do. <laughs> it's, it's,
2: it's really nice because I do feel like, uh, and and I love my friends, uh, but a lot of them, you know, have have never left Paris, and and sometimes I'm I'm so surprised because we have we're having conversations, and it's like, oh yeah, but that for me has been completely different, mm. you know, in London or in New York. So, no, it's it's great, um, it's great, and I'm excited one day to come back don't know when um but no for sure my future i see a, a couple years for sure um of my future in france
0: okay and just to conclude um I'd, I'd like each of you to share something you're you're proud of the other for so um i thought that might be a nice i'm just improvising here on the spot um <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> but you know i'm not good but again i've yeah. never I've, like i said i've not had a mother daughter duo with me before so I'm just going to try this as an exercise on you. Okay. So so what would you like to, to for listeners to know about your mom? Um, <laughs> no pressure. One thing no,
2: one thing, one thing I'm extremely proud of and that has completely shaped me as a person is You were a mother of three children. You had stopped working, even though you had a really successful, not one, but two careers. You're too humble. You said previously, I had just one, but you had two successful careers and you stopped working and then you decided to completely reinvent yourself by going to following your passion, by going to culinary school at 40 plus years old and you had three children. So, I mean, growing up with a mother like that, the sky's the limit, essentially, and so that's, that's been an amazing example to have because it just, it just makes essentially just shows you that, you know, if you put your heart towards something, you can, you can do it.
1: Come on, <laughs> so, so. I, Okay.
0: <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I would basically <laughs> say just about the same thing to Cecilia. We, um, I divorced from Cecilia's father when she was quite young. So, and that was a long time ago, you know, and in France, at the time, no one divorced. You know, you just lived something you didn't want to live.
0: Unhappily. <laughs> <when> <laughs> right? because
1: that's just the way it was. You know, no, I didn't do that. I, I divorced early. So Cecilia so was kind of one of the only one, all, the only divorced kid in this very traditional private Catholic, Catholic school that I put her in because I wanted her to be in a really good school out in the suburbs. So that was really hard for her. But what I can say, what I'm very proud of is that you're just constantly... You know, you're just constantly climbing up that mountain. It doesn't matter. You've got a smile. I mean, she's got the smile from ear to ear. Yeah, no, you she can't. does. <laughs> it's just, a, does. you know, Mom, I want to do this. Mom, I'm, I'm, you know, okay, we'll put, put your nose to the grindstone and, and we'll get it done. And then she went to London. She started out here in, in Paris in school and then moved to London. And, you know, school was okay, but Mom, I really want to work. You know, ends up getting herself a fantastic job. With the startup, you know, this crazy thing, and like this really funky building in London. I would go to visit and I'm like, okay, you know, this is a nice place. How did you do that? You know, how do you do it all on your own? And it's just boom, you know, step by step by step, just exactly living her dream. And that's i'm so so proud of you for that really oh she's a very sweet gal i must say
0: <laughs> so this is quite uh, quite a moment here <laughs> <laughs> i know this is gonna be i know sorry i totally host, i know? totally totally <laughs> sprung this on you but okay so just to finish then um kathleen where can people follow you in your work where yes. would you like them? First of all, they can pick up several books that you've yes. written in French. Oh, okay. A
1: lot of them you can buy. A also, lot of one them. in English. Yes, yes, yes. The first one was in English on French cooking. Basically. Okay, it was published in the US and it was published in Germany. Mm-hmm. That was almost six years ago. That was my very first book called Fabulously French Cooking. Um, And that was fun. That was really fun. And then, no, so um, my other books are on sale on Amazon, but please go to a bookstore.
0: (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, always.
1: (laughs) Please go to a bookstore. You can follow me on Instagram. That would be fun. What is
0: your handle there?
1: It's Chef Kathleen.
0: Chef Kathleen.
1: Chef Mm Kathleen with a C.
0: And you're also, for those who are listening who may be in France and have a television, (laughs) they can catch you.
1: Yes. And now I am weekly on on a, a daytime talk show called La Quotidienne, which is on France 5. Super. Yeah, I'm very proud. It just started last week. Just did my actually this week. Just did my first filming this week. It's on every Wednesday at eleven thirty or twelve or
0: something like this.
1: A.M. Okay. Right. French time.
0: So uh, hopefully you will be able to work together in some capacity in the future.
1: Yeah. I think that will happen. Yeah, we've always—it's yeah—that's another little secret dream, and because we have these dreams, I know you will achieve them. So,
0: <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> that will be happening. <laughs> Kathleen, Cecilia, thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you, thank, thank you, you so you. much. It's been a pleasure.
0: <laughs> that's the show for today. You can find all previous episodes of the New Paris Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you stream your shows. Until next time, abiento.